Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it is our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the show. This is just going to be a quick introduction to this episode because we are rebroadcasting a conversation that EC recently had with Jonathan Fletcher of the Digital Barbell Podcast. They got into a whole bunch of stuff, including what EC's personal fitness looks like these days. Uh, some stuff that she's learned from her previous experience, uh, her previous work experience that she's brought into Optimize Me Nutrition. And uh, I'm going to do a little tease here. She also mentions the one realization that 90% of the participants inside her masterclass have as they go through that program. Tease, tease. So without further ado, a, a Jew, how do you pronounce that? Anyways, here's Jonathan. NEC. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week for another episode of The Consistency Project. If you love bananas, you're in luck. If you dream about baked potatoes, I have good news. E.C. Sinkowski, creator of the 800 Gram Challenge, is back today as our guest on the podcast. Welcome back, back, (laughs) E.C. Yes, thank you so much for having me. If anybody missed episode 66 with EC, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. We talked about everything from the most important things to be consistent with to why EC hates squats and loves rowing. (laughs) Speaking of rowing, EC, you posted a workout that you did last week in your Instagram Mm -hmm. story. It was Mm -hmm. 500 meter row, 10 pushups for 10 rounds, Correct. 10 rounds. (laughs) Correct. Did you, this, this workout that you dreamed up is definitely proof of your love for rowing. If nothing mm. else is, yeah. do you write, do you write your own programming or did you get that from somebody else? I do write my own programming. Um, you know, I started CrossFit in 2006. I started working for the company at that time. Um, and then, you know, I, I had a lot to do with a lot of the content generation and teaching the content at seminars. And I program for games athletes at times and I program at the affiliate level at times. I've been an affiliate since 2006. <laughs> I've just been around a lot of workouts. And even prior to CrossFit, I was doing some interval type stuff as well. So I do program my own stuff. I do get a good amount of questions about that. Um, there's no, I wouldn't say there's any real genius behind it. Like it, it literally just kind of comes to me for what I think is useful for that day and what I need to do at that moment. Mm-hmm. as well as what I'm up for in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The mental side of that. How many times per week do you typically exercise slash train now? Oh yeah. I do prefer that exercise word over training it. Training has too many <laughs> expectations. Um, I exercise, I would say at least five times a week, but sometimes six, if you want to include like increasing my steps per day or just kind of a lazy bike or something like that. Yeah. How, so you've been doing this since 2006. What would you say some of the main differences in your training then mm-hmm. versus now are? Yeah, I would actually, I mean, that's, you know, CrossFit specifically as CrossFit. Um, you know, I started working out regularly, like in a gym, Globo gym, lifting all of that stuff in middle school. And so it's like, I've been working out five days a week for at least an hour <laughs> since that time, you know? And then once I got to college, even pre-CrossFit, I was already doing pull-ups and deadlifts and interval style training before. So just a lot of 
a lot of time doing it, right? Um, I already forgot your question. What what has changed oh, kind training, of since change. when you started CrossFit right, till now? I just reminded me as I said I forgot. <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I I think what's changed the most is I actually had some back injuries uh, circa 2011, maybe 2012, and I really think it's because of a torn hip labrum that that the back became a problem. Um, and so I just don't do a ton of barbell work. I, I don't do CrossFit as CrossFit.com. You know, I do a lot of CrossFit-esque stuff, but my strength stuff looks a lot like um, presses and maybe lunges. And I'll even go got, gasp to the Globo gym and do the leg press machine or something like that. Um, I'll do sled work, you know, sprint work, stuff like that um, to keep some muscle mass on and to stay strong. But I am not doing barbell cleans and snatches and all of that stuff. Um, I just can't really figure out what sets off my back, but it seems to, it seems to be the barbell heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably pretty common for people who have, you know, not only had injuries that have manifested and, uh, issues with backs, but just somebody who's been doing barbell training for a long time. Yeah. Start to bring down the volume of those particular heavy lifts over time. Totally. Present company included. So, <laughs> so, uh, you were the, like you said, you were the program manager for CrossFit HQ from, I think 2011 through 2017. And yeah. looking back on that time and everything that you learned, what principles do you still find yourself using every day now in your personal life and as the mm -hmm. owner of a nutritional education company? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, I might pull in a couple of things again, pre-CrossFit just because I, I kind of have looked at times at my resume and been like, oh my God, it's like a Jackson Pollock painting, you know, <laughs> like it's all over the place. Um, not putting him down, amazing artist, but um, it's just like, there's no clear line, right? But I think there's different parts of each of one of my phases that I really do rely on now. And from CrossFit, I think one of the things that is so, that sticks with me is kind of this idea of like the black box in that they don't really care what's happening at the physiological level. They're looking at outcome. Does your fitness actually change? Do you get, you know, a better back squat? Are you a faster runner? Like we can debate all day, whether or not the person should be doing more front squats, or if it should be a tempo squat, or if it should be five sets of five or five sets of three. But at the end of the day, did they actually increase their squat? So you have to stay focused on the outcome. And I think that's what I try to do a lot with nutrition is really push people to focus on, is this actually driving the weight change? Is this actually getting the health marker to change? Is your fitness changing? Because instead we can spend so much time talking about what might be happening with estrogen, right? Or what is going on with testosterone when instead it's like, Hey, that's going to take a long time to totally figure out. Why don't we just focus on the outcome? And if we're getting better on what we want. So that's why I, I think what I really, really take from CrossFit and think about a lot, um, you know, measuring the outcome. Um, I did used to work in environmental consulting and help prepare an expert witness for jury trials of like who pays to clean up pollution in present day. And he, you know, was an expert in his own right of science stuff, but he was an expert in clarity. Um, you know, we would spend months and lots of money for clients to figure out the data and how did the pollution get where it was and who's responsible for it. And then you get to a jury trial You've got 12 of your peers who have never thought about this before. How, what's the information they need to know? And, and like, how are you going to convey this scientific knowledge to them so that they understand it and believe your side of the case, right? So that he, I really took that from him and I'm really thankful for that experience. Um, and then I think the other thing I would draw on that I use a lot now still is like my engineering background. So I was an engineer as my undergrad and 
I think engineers by default are just very practical. <laughs> Does it work? Does it work? Like, <laughs> here's what it looks like. Does this thing work? You know, I, I, my stepfather is a civil engineer. It's like he jokes around that they would design only brick slab buildings because you know that they're not going to fall apart. <laughs> they're going to withstand all of the, the forces and stuff like that. But engineer, like, does the thing that you built actually work? And so I think those are really things that I, I think back a lot now that drive a lot of my nutrition message. So maybe a little bit longer than you wanted, but um, no, that, I've thought about that before. Sense. It all <laughs> makes sense. And I think the, uh, the second thing that you brought up about clarity really is quote, clear in your, mm -hmm. in your messaging and the content that you put out on social media and in your masterclass course, you know, you're trying to distill this down to remove as much of the fluff as possible. So there's basically nowhere to look except at the things that produce mm -hmm. results, which yeah, I think is one, one of your strong suits for sure. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so we have several engineer clients also, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they're the best at using true coach. They're the best at yes. checking all the boxes. <laughs> And they're probably our most compliant uh, clients overall. So I can attest to that fact yeah, also. That's awesome. Um, so I've alluded to the fact that we've all kind of been doing this for a long time, which means uh, we're not kids anymore. How about if we talk about what happens with our fitness as we age and what happens mm. with our nutrition as we age a little bit? Mm. <laughs> what a fun topic. <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the, well, let's make it fun. Yeah. So th there's this kind of commonly accepted theme that as we age, especially past 30 or, or 40, our metabolism just hits the tank. Our hormones are just spinning out of control and invariably we're doomed to just continue gaining weight until we mm. meet the grave. What do you say about this? Is this true or is it fake news? Yeah, it does seem that we need less calories as we age. Now, how much of that is a function of specifically aging versus uh, a loss of muscle mass and or decreased activity is still very hard to specifically tease out. Um, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find a 40 year old who can say that they're honestly as active and pushing as hard as they were when they were 25 or 30, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it, people will think they're as active and that they still are very active relative to maybe mainstream but I don't think they're quite as active as they were at that age. Just even like moving around steps per day type stuff, I think comes down as we age, just as we get more settled in our career. So I think there's some from that. Um, and then the less active we are and the less that we are pushing ourselves in our workout, as we've already discussed that maybe we've backed away from the barbell a little bit, um, we're, we're probably going to lose some muscle mass, especially if we're not really focused on trying to maintain it. And so that decrease in muscle mass is going to result in less calories needed, not only just sitting around at the house because you have less mass to sustain. But even when you go to work out, less muscle mass means generally you're going to burn less calories um, because you just can't produce the same amount of forces. So typically what we see is that people's caloric need comes down. That doesn't mean the principles change. We still have to worry about, you know, matching what we're eating coming in <laughs> to what we're burning. But it just means that our target is moving downwards as we age. And so this is why, like, let's just pick the age 40, because I feel like with my clients, that's when people will say, oh, that's when I noticed it, right? That by the time that they've gotten to 40, they have a ton of years of habits and eating habits and exercise habits in place, but now they need to start changing them. And so that's why it's so hard. I think most people just sort of continue doing what they've always done and continuing doing what you've always done generally will result in weight gain for yeah. sure. Well, there's a lot of things you just <laughs> left in there to unpack for sure. Okay. Um, what about, I, I 
got a lot of clients or have had clients in the past who have conditions like PCOS mm. um, or have early onset menopause or just menopause mm. in general. How much do these kinds of factors play into uh, weight gain as we age versus mm. just the general decline in metabolism? Yeah. So there was this really cool study, you probably thought because it was all over social media back in the fall by Ponzer and others, a, a huge slew of authors because the study was so massive. Um, I'm hopefully I'm going to get my numbers right. Over 6,000 individuals they looked at. That, that's a big study <laughs> in terms of nutrition. And they looked at energy expenditure across age. And what they found, and they broke it, they found four phases of life, basically like being an infant, then like childhood, adulthood, they classified as 20 to 60 based on their data and then over 60. And, and what they found was that from 20 to 60, metabolism did not change per gram of lean tissue. Um, now, of course, if you're losing muscle mass because you're not as active or you're not lifting weights or something like that, then yes, your absolute number is coming down. So you need less calories, but per gram of lean tissue. So what's happening in terms of metabolism is not slowing just from general aging from 20 to 60. This covers the range. I think of many of your clients that you're talking about the perimenopause and the menopause, you know, most, I think the average age for menopause is about 47. So this certainly covers that range. And is saying that, no, your metabolism isn't slowing because of menopause or these hormonal issues. Now, that doesn't mean I think we should discount these things. I, I think there's, well, I know, there's very real symptoms that people have with menopause and emotions change and motivation change. And this will, I think, often be the reason why they see weight gain. Their food choices change, their interest in exercise changes because of these fluctuating moods and other symptoms such that you know the diet is not helping them and also the exercise is not helping them as well and some of their choices. But it's not the hormonal flux that we're seeing that is um, responsible for this weight gain. Yeah. And to that point, sometimes if somebody feels like they're stuck in that situation for the reasons of PCOS or, or hormones or whatever, the first step we can do is just to bring awareness of what they're doing. And mm -hmm. that often kind of flips them over to feeling like a victim of those things that are out of their control to seeing that it's actually the things that you just mentioned, the choices, the habits mm -hmm. that are actually contributing to the weight gain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do that. I have clients all the time in, in the menopause phase in my masterclass. And, you know, I would say 90% of my masterclass students have the same realization. They don't have the realization until they actually do it, but they come through and they, and they're basically the realization is I thought I was eating healthy and now I know what I'm really eating. Yeah. And this is going to be true for my menopause clients as well. They just don't really understand what truly they're eating. They have a very subjective view of it. And so once they dig in and they're like, Oh, okay, this explains it. Um, I think it actually is more empowering, right? Versus mm -hmm. just being like, oh, it's the hormones, you know, I <laughs> nothing to do about it. But now they can be like, oh my gosh, there's ways that I can change this and take control of this. And so I have people, plenty of people in their 50s, 60s plus lose weight simply by becoming more aware of what they're doing and understanding the factors that are truly at play. Absolutely. So outside of hormones, I'm sure you've heard this expression that there's a saying that your metabolism didn't slow down. You did. Maybe you, maybe mm. I even stole that from you. Mm, I don't think so, but yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> is that pretty much what you find to be true with most people? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some other interesting things though going on. Like we know, we know records are not set by people past 40, like lifting records, running records, like elite athleticism. Maybe there's some people just over 30, but by 35 and down, that's why we have master's categories, right? Amen. So there, 
<laughs> yeah, I know. There is something going on on the physiological level, like our max heart rate comes down, right? Um, I think if I talked about one of my bonus podcasts, like there might be something in the central nervous system changing the way that we can actually recruit muscle fibers less effectively. So there is certainly something with aging. I don't want to say that like you should have the expectation that at 45, you will be performing at 25. I, I think there's been plenty of people who have tried to do that <laughs> and we've seen that it doesn't work out again, hence we have master's categories. So there is something that is changing there. Um, but I, I think we have a lot more power and control, like I just mentioned, versus just sort of saying, oh, it's aging. Oh, well. Yeah. I interviewed. Um a guy named Dr. Darren Deaton on the podcast last year. And I love the way that he put this. He said, at any point in our lives, we can choose to live out our maximum genetic potential at that time. Mm -hmm. It's our choice. So we're all operating within the potential that we have. And we have to, you know, turn the dials of the things that we control to get as close to that potential as possible. I like that a lot. I mean, it's like, you know, as you age, your, your maximum potential is declining, but you can still buffer that decline as much as possible. And That's so, right. Yeah. Exactly. And we're going to get into that. So, okay. So but we both agree that there are a lot of things that we can do that are within our control to both maintain our metabolism as we get older and to also avoid weight gain and even get leaner. Yeah. So let's picture an avatar who seems to just keep getting better and better as they age. Maybe somebody like Rich Froning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they focus on the things that they can to stay strong, lean, capable. So let's start with their training. What does our ageless avatar focus on when it comes to their training? There is something really interesting about our best top aging athletes is I bet they're really smart about exactly what they need to train. Um, I, that was it. I had a quick bites question recently about a woman who, gosh, she's 52. And she says that she's starting to notice some aches and pains. And I'm like, wow, you got to 52. Good for you. Like that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm already there. Right. But she was concerned kind of with the kipping, um, movements as well as some heavy barbell stuff. And I think as you age, you have to be really selective in how much you're doing of these various things that do seem to have more impact than let's say stationary bike riding in the sense of, you know, are you doing a workout because it's quote a good workout and all your buddies are doing it? Or are you doing it because you, you really need to do that. And that's a weakness. You know, if you already have tons and tons of high volume pull-ups, I don't know that you really need to be training. Well, I know you don't need to be training that every day, right? That would be the thing that you just sort of keep on maintenance while you really target the things that are weaknesses. So I think that's the first thing of avatars is not just doing everything for the sake of doing everything. And like, Oh, I love CrossFit, you know, um, instead it's being really selective about what do I need to do to improve? Yeah, that can be tough sometimes part. in a class setting when it's uh, programmed and there's that group atmosphere that everybody's kind of in it together. Totally, totally. Uh, what about the division between focusing on strength, conditioning, mm -hmm. hypertrophy, all that kind of stuff? Where do you spend your time with our ageless avatar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's assume that they're just doing this for like personal health? Or are we talking kind of like, yeah, longevity, personal okay. health and, and preserving, you know, preserving their lean body mass as they get older too, since mm. we know how important that is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if we're going for like the master's games level or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I know people always kind of want a perfect split. Um, <laughs> right. I do encourage people and I know we're going after this avatar, so I'm going to get there, but you know me, I like to go on some tangents. Um, I do encourage people before they're going to hear this, you know, split that I'm going to put that's supposedly perfect is you really have to evaluate kind of where you are and, and, and make the change from there versus just trying to jump to here and think this is the best. But anyway, um, let's get to your question. You know, I think at least two days a week of something strength related. Now I, 
when I say that, I always have to caveat that with that doesn't always mean go do heavy back squats with the barbell, kind of as mm-hmm. we've mentioned, right? Sometimes that's going to be gymnastics work, pull-ups, um, dips, something like that. Maybe just add resistance if you're already really great at them. Um, it could be sled work. I do a lot of, I used to do a lot more sled work um, because it can be so effective for that. It might even be hill sprints, just like that, but something that's really short and intense and has some type of resistance is mm-hmm. some great strength stuff that I would love to see people do. Um, I think two-ish, um, CrossFit-ish, mm-hmm. you know, type of Metcon stuff, maybe yep. lighter weight, high intensity, push the heart rate, push intensity is great. And then maybe two-ish days that are kind of the longer ca- classic cardio stuff. I think that can be a great balance. Now, is that perfectly everything? No, but I think you can be really fit there and it can be a nice volume that that's very sustainable. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty well-rounded. Um, you know, we Blakely owned a CrossFit gym for several mm-hmm. years and that's all we did for a long time, maybe mm-hmm. almost eight years, five CrossFit workouts per week. And then I had a back injury in 2014 that kind of sidelined me. I was just doing strength training pretty much at the time and, um, had an injury, couldn't really train the strength moves like I wanted to. So I kind of discovered the benefits of hypertrophy training during that time. Cause I wanted to do something. Everybody else is in the gym training. So over time, our training and our philosophy has kind of shifted towards what you just said, a couple, mm-hmm. um, strength components every week, a couple higher intensity conditioning workouts, CrossFit style, and then some longer distance, um, yeah. conditioning, but then also, um, with ourselves personally, and with a lot of our clients, we put on a lot more hypertrophy based, um, training, which I feel like has been good for our over 30, over 40 clients, because mm-hmm. a lot of them have never done that kind of training before. So I feel like they're, they, it's something different for them, which keeps them motivated to do it. But then it also seems that since they've never done it before, they're extra responsive to it. Um, you know, with the higher rep training, they get this nice little boost of muscle mass and a change in their physique that they had never seen before versus if they had just been doing group classes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think when you get to CrossFit, or at least when I did, it was, and I'd come from some of the more hypertrophy stuff, classic bodybuilding stuff. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. There you come around, I think after a certain point, like, oh, right. <laughs> that is effective. And some of the reason why I did have some strength when I started CrossFit is because I had done so much of that <laughs> prior to it. I, I think with everything, one of the things people have to remember is well, what's the quote? It's like, how you do anything is how you do everything. It's like, it's sort of the same thing with fitness, like doing anything with intent. And I don't even like the word intensity sometimes because people get wrapped around the axle with that, with, with CrossFit, but you know, doing hypertrophy stuff with intent, you know, making it challenging is very effective. If you just sort of sit there and kick your legs up and down with no resistance, I mean, it's kind of silly. Same thing if you go to a CrossFit gym and use way too many bands than you need, and you don't really challenge yourself. Like a lot of different, you can become more fit in a lot of different ways. So long as you have intent with what you're doing. That's that's so true. And I think that's one of the reasons that somebody who has a coach can make such mm. quicker progress than somebody who doesn't is because there's somebody to gauge that intensity. Mm. Um, you know, watching a client do a set of dumbbell bench press and, <laughs> and, no, and noticing that rep number 15 was the exact same speed as rep number one. And they've been doing that all their life in the gym or, you know, they're not pushing any kind of intensity and, and teaching them about RPE and and how we make progress by getting closer to failure is just like magic for some of these people. And the same thing goes on the conditioning side too. That that's so much of the magic of CrossFit. And I I don't like to 
you know, put anybody down who's, who's doing things. And there's plenty of people who go to the gym. It isn't about weight loss. It might just be burning off steam and whatever, but I go to a CrossFit gym near me, but I also go to a Globo gym because of some of the, the things that I like. And, um, you know, you do see a, a good number of people that are just sort of mailing it in for lack of yeah. a better word. Now, again, no judgment, maybe that is their goal. And I don't really know, but this is some of the magic of CrossFit when you're around other people and you're pushing yourself hard, this is why we see results more quickly. And, you know, um, there can be other ways to do that without CrossFit, of course. Mark Ripito likes to use the, um, example in his seminar about how, you know, you need to squat 405 pounds so that every time you ride a bike, it's really easy. Meaning mm. that every repetition is a smaller percentage of your one rep max when you're, when you're yes. really strong. So, you yes. know, if you, I was watching, um, Rich Froning do the CrossFit open 22.3 workout the other day, and here he is doing, you know, 95 pound thrusters and, uh, kipping chest to bar pull-ups. And they were displaying his heart rate on the screen next to him doing it. You know, for me, I'd be at 180. He's right. at like 125, right. 130, right. because he trains at these intensities. He trains plenty of zone two cardio. Therefore, when he's doing that, what's, you know, almost impossible for the rest of us, it's a walk in the park. He's adapted to it. He's trained for it. <laughs> do you, yeah. Do you mind though, if I, I expand on that a little bit, like sure. when he trains zone two cardio, when he, when Rich Froning trains zone two cardio, he is pushing zone two cardio. <laughs> That's right. So I think this is, there was a big push, you know, especially with Chris, Henshaw, who's, you know, a mastermind of aerobic capacity, building aerobic base and everyone wants to do that. And that's great. Believe me, very effective coach. But the idea is why Chris is so good is because he's selecting speeds and times that are pushing you at those speeds and times, right? It's mm -hmm. not just, well, now I'm going to go do cardio where my heart rate stays kind of low. Like when Rich is doing quote zone two cardio, he's still at the limits of what he can sustain for that duration. And so I think that's sometimes what gets a little bit lost in these longer cardio pieces is they do tend to be kind of these mail it in when it's like, okay, it's lower intensity than Fran or whatever the 10 minute AMRAP was but it's still hard for that duration. Yeah. And this is probably going back to why it's important to have a coach because you can mm. Google like how to do zone two cardio and you pull up a table where you put in your age and it tells you, all right, keep your heart rate here, but it has no idea what training you're already adapted to what your actual max is. Right. Exactly. That kind of thing. So <laughs> ha having somebody to look at what you're doing is, is pretty mm -hmm. key. Totally. Okay. I can picture somebody here in this conversation that is out of shape and thinking, I have no idea where to start. <laughs> this is <Yeah>. overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. What do you say to that person who feel like they got to go get in shape before they can start to get in shape? Oh, I think everybody feels that. I mean, I remember I was before my first day at, you know, CrossFit Boston in 2006, I was nervous. I wouldn't keep up, you know, all of that stuff. Everybody has it. Um, I don't know. You just got to start. You just got to start. Is it Joe Rogan's quote? Like the first rep is the hardest or something like that. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that you just got to right. start. You just got to start. And, uh, yeah. I, I like starting simple. I think, you know, again, everybody wants the perfect plan out of the gates, but a lot of times we end up figuring out what the perfect plan is by going through lots of little steps, not, not having it right to start. You know, of course with nutrition, I'm going to suggest something like the 800 gram challenge. Like let's just get some fruits and veggies going, you know, with working out. I like the idea of find a coach, find a gym near you, assess the vibe a little bit and get started, you know, just going three times a week. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, find something that you like and just stick with it and then start worrying about refining it. Right. And so yep. maybe you're somebody who hasn't gotten started and you really like, you think you really like rowing. 
great, start there. You think you really like group X classes, great, start there. You think you really like CrossFit, great, you get the idea. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just start, build the consistency because again, a lot of different things will lead to success with the right intent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, pick the, pick something and try. It doesn't matter if it's optimal because optimal isn't optimal if you don't enjoy it and you won't Mm -hmm. do it consistently. I'd rather somebody do Zumba for a year if they like it and they'll stick with it than the most optimal bodybuilding strength CrossFit split. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And here's the thing is like, I think about this a a ton, um, because I get a lot of questions about training and all of this stuff for the most part, life doesn't really demand this superior level of fitness. You know, there are some very specific times when it would be nice to be the guy who can squat a lot of weight, right. Or it'd be nice to have a lot of, um, you know, dead hang pull-ups or whatever. There's very few times life demands that now it doesn't mean that I don't think fitness is great and we should work on it, but like to have a good amount of fitness that will allow you to live independently in a high quality of life is not the same thing as running a five minute mile and having a 500 pound back squat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we can do a lot of things that will improve the quality of life, you know, keep our physique the way that we want it yet. It's not also pushing ourselves to these, to these limits that some of the elite athletes are doing. Yeah. I'm picturing the sickness, wellness, health spectrum and how you can actually go a little bit too far, Mm. you know, in some cases, totally. Let's flip this over to nutrition. Let's go back to our avatar. Mm. You mentioned, you mentioned the 800 gram challenge and I have a feeling that's coming out. Um, (laughs) But before we get to that, when you look at kind of the daily nutritional habits of your, whether it be your 40 plus clients or just anybody in your masterclass, what are the typical things that are blocking people from making progress or have led to them gaining weight over the years? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, again, over 90% of people, it's going to be, they do not have a good enough handle on the foods that come in boxes or bags with long lists of ingredients. (laughs) They might actually be eating a lot of fruits and veggies. You know, they've heard about this 800 gram challenge thing. They've done it. They maybe haven't seen their weight change. Maybe they've even heard about lazy macros where they add some protein. They still haven't seen their weight change. And then we start to look at macros and this is where they, they learn, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much of the other stuff that I eat. And this is true for me too. Like, what do I have to focus and manage in my diet? how much of the other stuff I'm having. So this isn't like, oh my God, I get this all the right all the time. Like, yeah, no, it's, you know, <laughs> this stuff that's around us tastes amazing. It's very calorically dense. You don't have to feel very full to have eaten a ton of calories. You know, it's not that you have to have 12 donuts every day to be doing this. It's just the handfuls here, the snack there, the thing at the office on the way home, the kids leftover, whatever. And all of a sudden you've had 600 extra calories on the day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, is this is really, it is, is, especially for people that can't lose weight, it's going to be, there's too many things in the diet that are these processed things. And I, again, people will also have a good amount of fruits and veggies or protein in their diet. They still just have too much of this other stuff. Yeah. It's, it's the things like the crackers, the cookies, the handful of nuts, those kinds of things. It's really the, um, the 50 to hundred calorie things at a Mm. time that just happen multiple times per day that I've I feel like is the difference maker for most people, unless, Mm. you know, somebody's sitting down and having half a bag of potato chips or something like that. I also think though, it's some of the stuff that's marketed as healthy, that is just so calorically dense, whether or not that's like the veggie chips or, and it's like, it's the same as the, the classic nacho chips, right. Or it's like, I'm having the keto 
chocolate. And it's like, okay, <laughs> same here, same here, right. calories rise. Or even if they go to a restaurant and they've ordered the salad and they have no idea that the dressing's 500 calories, right? So some of it is also just some of marketing is, is I, I think, a little sneaky. We did a podcast episode when my sister was here visiting. We went to the grocery store and myself, my sister and Blakely, we each picked out five things in the grocery store that appeared to be healthy based on the label. Mm, and, we, yeah. and we brought them home. We tasted all of them and we analyzed the nutrition information on each one of them. How fun. Um, and there was almost nothing that <laughs> it turned out to be a good choice. <laughs> it was just shocking. The, the marketing in the healthy food category, oh my God, it is, it is fooling a lot of people, unfortunately. Yeah. And here's the thing is, I'm actually not against any of the products per se. I eat chocolate, I eat cookies, you know, pick your whatever of choice. I'm sure I eat it. Um, I'm not against the product. I would rather them just be like, we sell good chocolate versus being like, this is a superfood with turmeric. And you're like, guys, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> let's just, let's just serve the chocolate bar and call it a day. Um, and so that's what really gets me crazy. It's like, just, just be the chocolate bar, you know, be the really yeah. good chocolate bar. You don't have to be a health food. What was it you uh, posted in your Instagram story yesterday about something being Ugh. flavored like a Reuben sandwich? <laughs> yeah, that one, I don't know. It's just, that one was uh, less about the, the health issues and this more about like, I don't know, at this point, you know, chips or a Reuben sandwich, the, the calories are probably going to be a dent either way. I would go for the sandwich over the chips, but. It's going to be more filling for sure. Right, right. <laughs> okay, as we um, kind of wrap up on nutrition, we, we know that we have to keep extra calories from sneaking in to keep mm -hmm. our, the energy balance equation in check. What happens as we get older, as far as our response to the different macronutrients, do we be, need to be paying different attention to any of the three as we age? I don't think so in concept, but I think most people tend not to be eating that much protein again, because we like these processed foods. So as we age, I feel like people need to make sure that they're still getting enough protein and, and oftentimes they're not. So, you know, that I like the 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. That is the research that does fall in line with research about protecting against sarcopenia, the loss of muscle mass. And it also can help support adding mass to the body. So that's the number I like. Um, and, and certainly if we're having this issue of losing muscle mass, then one of the best ways to buffer it is to make sure that we have enough protein around now, just eating more protein though, isn't going to do it right. Like we have to have the training to stimulate the need to need that protein. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I, I find that I guess after finding that people are eating too many processed foods that, yeah, then the protein tends to be a little bit low. So I would focus there. Yep. Totally agree. Okay. Before we wrap up, I thought we, we can switch gears and we can do a quick um, over or underrated that people might want to hear. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Do I get, ex I forget. Do I get explanations or? Um, you'll get. It's as uh, short as possible. No, you, how about uh, between 15 and 30 seconds explanation for each one? <laughs> I'm going to try. Okay. <laughs> okay. Over or underrated the workout Fran. Ooh. Gosh, 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I won't start until you start. Okay. I am going to say underrated. Interesting. I thought it would go the other way. There is something about the early CrossFit workouts and even before the games came around that really was this idea of minimum effective dose. What's the least you can do to be really fit? And I think people underestimate how fit you can be 
and not do a ton of stuff. I think it's, uh, I guess I'm going to break the rule and take this longer, but um, <laughs> I already did. I already was <laughs> going off on a lecture. I think you're right though, because watching how CrossFit changed over the years, it, it definitely became about more and more and how many 30 and 40 minute workouts can we do? How many hero workouts can we do to prove how fit we are when that's not, that was never really the, the sole intent. And, you know, and I used to work for CrossFit and I'm going to say that there's a difference of what the community wants and does at large versus necessarily what the message was. I mean, we were still teaching very much one work at a day, all of that stuff. But um, I think the games help propel an idea that you need to be doing that because people look up to the games athletes and they do need to be doing that, right? So some of it isn't necessarily what was coming from HQ. It's just that what people decided to do and, and to latch onto. But some of those, you know, the classic benchmarks, I mean, Helen is such, I mean, I think, you know, from looking at my stories, I mean, Helen is a beautiful workout. Fran is a beautiful workout. Grace, I mean, it, it, I, that's, I guess, again, going back to our aging avatar, like what's the least amount of work you can do to get the outcome you want, you know? Mm -hmm. I think I saw Helen on my calendar this week. <laughs> that's <laughs> Monday then. <laughs> okay. Next one over or underrated non-alcoholic beer. Mm, underrated. Gosh. I, I don't sure. get sponsored by them, but athletic brewing IPA. Woo, good That's one. your favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you? Do you have a good one? I, um, I've been on kind of a kick with the, um, the Heineken 0, 0.0 lately. Okay. Have you tried that? I haven't. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. It's because uh, it comes in 12 packs, okay. uh, which is good. nice. And it's 70 uh, ish calories per can, which is okay. pretty close to the athletic brewing, which is, yeah. I think, around 50. Yeah. But yes, for anybody listening to this that thinks non-alcoholic beer is still O'Doul's, it's not. <laughs> Give it another try. Totally, totally. Okay, last one. Over or underrated, having a goal weight. Mm. Overrated, overrated. Um, I think, why, why are you having that goal weight? Is it some aesthetic? Then let's use that. Let's use your reflection in the mirror. If it's because of some performance, let's use that. I find that people will arbitrarily kind of pick a number and it's like, how did you come up with that number? <laughs> um, so yeah, overrated. But don't you find that when you dig deeper with people, um, that, that goal weight, when you say, how did you come up with that? It's usually based on something in the past that mm. may or may not even be realistic or practical. Relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. I mean, I think that's the other thing too, especially if they've started more kind of weightlifting training and, and they're now trying to compare to a weight when they weren't doing that, that can be hard too. It's like, well, guys, no, we're not going to be the same weight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this please, is the outcome please, of weight training. <laughs> please see episode about body weight versus body composition. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Well, cool. Well, once again, I appreciate your time and, and taking the time to do this. Hope everybody gleans some good information about how much control you truly do have over your metabolism as you age. Thanks for being here, EC. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, catch you next time.